Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Punching Out. My name is Alfred. I'm here with Linda. Say hi, Linda. Hi. <laughs> and Rich. Howdy. And we are here to today to talk about, um, for about lack of a better term, the adjunct crisis in higher education. So the three of us are adjunct instructors or have been and continue to be. Um, so mine is um, I teach in uh, education and human development graduate programs. Uh, I also teach in the human services program at MCC, but it's my part-time gig. I have a full-time position at a university that's not a faculty position, uh, and I've been adjuncting, I guess, about 10 years. So there, there it is. I'm an adjunct instructor at uh, St. John Fisher College. Um, I started adjuncting there in 2011. I'm still adjuncting there. Um, I've also been an adjunct instructor at uh, Brockport State University of New York. I was an adjunct there for about three years, and I had some experience adjuncting at the University of Rochester in the uh, medical humanities, and I was there for about two years wow. uh, teaching um, disability studies. Oh, very. Oh, we'll have to talk about this offline. Yes, Stephanie <laughs> uh, Clark. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. And I'm Rich. Uh, I, I, like Alfred, I'm a uh, moonlighting adjunct instructor. Uh, I've been teaching courses on and off for about seven years now. I've covered most of the major institutions in the, the Rochester area, and I'm currently uh, teaching one liberal arts course at a small public liberal arts college in the area. There are advantages and disadvantages to being um, an adjunct. And one of the advantages for me is getting to teach, which I really love doing, um, you know, contributing some, something to uh, students' uh, future development, um, getting to teach what I love teaching, which is the subject matter of women and gender studies. Uh, but the downside, or one of the downsides, as Rich alluded to, is, is the really crummy pay. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, the, and you, you know, you don't get uh, there's no motivation for me to conduct research in my own field. So I don't actually work in my own field. So I, I'm just sort of it just atrophies. You know, I sp I've probably read more stuff in the humanities in the last week than I read in my own field for the last year. Hmm. Um. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, it's one of those things where like Linda I enjoy teaching. I wouldn't keep doing it with the, the pay if I didn't enjoy doing it. And I, I like, you know, being part of that community of scholars, people who can exchange knowledge and share and share our knowledge with, um, you know, people who are interested in engaging with it. Um, and, you know, it encourages me and keeps me sharp, essentially. I, you know, I keep myself reading in my field. And maybe it's not something I'd be otherwise inclined to do, which would be sad because it's the one thing I love more than anything else. It may be baseball. Um, <laughs> but Can I ask you what your field is? Liberal arts. Liberal arts. You're just going to end it there. Huh? You're gonna <laughs> I'm going to keep it. Uh, narrow it down a little I'm, I'm trying to not be super identifiable mm -hmm. in this one. So mm -hmm. um, it's. But. Rich 
Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I I I wanted to hear more uh, from both of you. I I feel like I'm interviewing you now, but I'm I'm really mm-hmm. curious because I don't get to talk to a lot of adjuncts myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I'm just curious what uh, well teaching is valued, but but besides the pay, um, do you think your colleagues? Do you feel like your department? colleagues, for lack of a better term, are actually seeing you as a colleague. That's something I want to circle back to that you don't talk to other adjuncts because mm-hmm. this is such an atomizing profession. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a theme that you know we should build on later. Mm-hmm. Um, but to answer that question, mm-hmm. um, so I teach night classes because I work during the day. I, I have Same a main job that pays the bill. Mm-hmm. Bills. Not just <laughs> one, the one bill. The one bill. <laughs> wow, good for you. The bills. The many bills <laughs> keep piling up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I, I work a full eight hours and I drive to my night classes. And so as much as I love teaching, you know, there's that extra addition of exhaustion built in there. Like mm-hmm. this is my second job. Um, I can't really be there for my students 100% because I'm worn down and, you know, from working the full time. And then on top of that, because I'm only there two days a week, I don't really get a chance to get to know anybody yeah. in the department, students or professors. Um it affects professional development, you know, because a lot of what academics do to, you know, write their papers is informally meet with each other and things like brown bags or lunches or just going to the bar just, afterwards. That's just, not available to adjuncts because either you're working another job or you got to go zip to another school to teach your other adjunct course mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, you're just not in the town where the school is. And so you're only there for the two hours a week or whatever you're teaching the class. Um, and so, you know, you miss out on that community. And I think it, you know, hurts adjuncts, it hurts the department, and it hurts the students. How about you? You, you probably. I mean, I, I would hope that your situation is slightly better uh, <laughs> than that, because mine is almost as bad as Rich's. I think. Yeah, I, I do find it. I, I think atomizing is a, a very good way uh, of describing it. I, I choose to be uh, an adjunct, and uh, so. I went into the profession of being an adjunct without any illusions of what that entailed. Mm. Uh, So I was fully aware of, you know, the fact that I was going to get less pay, that I wouldn't get uh, any benefits, um, that I was considered to be uh, of a different kind of a, a class. So there are, you know, full time and tenured and tenure track uh, professors, and then on the other hand, there are, you know, part-time uh, contingent faculty professors like, like me. Um, I wasn't though uh, prepared for how big the di- disparity in pay would be between me yeah. as an adjunct and um, a tenure track or tenured tenured faculty. Um, and actually, I was really, really shocked by that. So um, I don't mind mentioning, uh, you know, just in terms of, of pay rates um, on average at Fisher College since I've started. I'm presently uh, being paid uh, $2,800 per, per course. I get uh, a stipend for teaching first year courses, mm-hmm. of which I'm presently slated to do two, um, of 550 per course, because there's a little bit extra, uh, of extra work mm-hmm. required. You're required to attend a couple of meetings and, uh, and some uh, workshops. 
Um, so that brings my pay up to uh, 3300 And as I understand it, that's not the standard pay for adjuncts. Some adjuncts receive less than that. Um, you know, I've, I've read as low as $1,500 or per course and <laughs> <Yeah>. some, some <laughs> volunteering and some earn as much as, as $5,000 per course. I've heard seven and eight recently too. But again, it's, okay. that, it's that field, it's, it's where it is. Where you know, it is. If it's, it's, and I, right. I'm in a position, I, I have the similar shock because I'm in right. a position now that I'm in administration and I get to see budgets. Mm-hmm. And I, I am appalled at how low, even my job pay, my full-time position, never mind. Right. Yeah. So I was expecting to be paid less, but not that much right. less in, in, in terms of uh, teaching. So I'm employed to be a, a teacher and I spend just as many hours in a classroom as a tenured track, mm-hmm. tenured professor. I put just as much of my time into course preparation. I'm required to meet with students after class just as many hours per week as a tenured track person. And as I understand (laughs) it, the average salary for a, you know, a tenured track or a uh, tenured professor around the country is... Sixty-five or seventy thousand. Well, it's some get much more than that, but on an average, and and that just seems really unbelievable to to me that I I get such little compensation for for what I do. And just as an aside, I think it's great that we're we're sharing our salaries. I think this is something all workers should do: is break the stigma of uh, what you get paid. Uh, Share that information with your your fellows, you know, that that's the only way, or it's not the only way, but it's one of the ways we can uh, work together to ensure at least some parity in our pay. Um, so I, I make a pretty much the same, uh, the same wage that Linda does. I get uh, $2,700 about to be raised to 2,800 give or take thanks to the latest union contract, yeah. which, you know, we'll talk about soon. Yeah. Um, but you know, my, my range has been, I think the most I ever got paid for a class was like 5,000. And that was kind of a weird one-off where the department was def- desperate to get the class in, so I had some leverage. Uh, but generally speaking, twenty-five hundred has been about per class has been uh, about my average. And again, compare that to uh, you know most professors teach what's called a two-two load or three-three load. Yeah. It's three three courses or two courses a semester. That's also what we teach. Except if I taught that load, I'd get what fifteen thousand a year. Yeah. Versus sixty thousand a year, starting for you know the tenure track professors who are yeah. the the upper class of this this bizarre academic caste system we've created. Right, and, I, and you're required to have the same qualifications. Yeah, right. Right. So there's they're looking for uh, people with PhDs to yeah. be adjunct professors, yeah. or at the at the minimum, um, yeah. a, a, a masters, yeah. right? and, terminating masters. And you don't get to do the. You know, I worked. I worked at a university in, and I got to see faculty in my department and, you know, they'd come in kind of, their hours were flexible. You know, they teach, they do what they needed, but they didn't have another full-time job. When I have to grade papers, you know, if you teach 25 students and you're, you know, even if you're very, you know, lenient and sort of easygoing, you're still spending 
dozens of hours sometimes in a week on top of your regular job. And mm-hmm. they have that luxury and my dirty secret is that I grade on uh, my regular jobs hours. Yeah, I used to do that. <laughs> I can't now, but yeah. And so there's there's a little bit of that. I think the that there's that all those informal conversation things are really critical. Um, I have the more because I teach graduate students. I actually get more talking to the graduate students in that. That's what keeps me sort of looped into the the field. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any conversations with faculty, at least in my, my, my at, at the community college, I do have a little bit more, um, and it's, it's union, so I, you know, and I'm a, I have a PhD, so my rate is pretty good, and I teach a four-credit course, so I'm getting more, that's, but it's more work. It's two classes rolled sort of into one. One is supervising field work, mm-hmm. so it's, it's kind of a bear, mm-hmm. but the money, it's... Every year I say, I'm not going to do it again. I taught my first online course last summer and I hated it. Mm-hmm. But there was I, the money was not bad. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. That. Is like when you have a full-time job, adjuncting is just like a nice little bit extra to yeah. help you pay the bills. Something not like making huge amounts of money at my current job. But you know, it, without the adjuncting job, it'd be a little bit more straightened than, uh, than I currently am. And so that's... Mm-hmm you know, part of the calculation and, and keeping to do it, you know, and on top of the, you know, the fact that I do legitimately love teaching and I love my topic is, you know, mm. it's scratch. It's the end of the day, it's money, but you get to little s- though it is and deserving as more that we do. I think we're, we're all in, uh, we're all in the kind of, from our, our, our disciplines to be, and I'm going to say it, to be subversive. Um, we're actually, we can, at least in what we do, we can encourage a type of critical engagement that you can't necessarily get in a very, skills-based, science-based, you know. So that's the plus. For me, I think of it as my role and my job is to is to, to sort of provide as much subversion as I can before they go out into the world and, and get jaded and ruined by it, um, which is why. <laughs> so I admit it. I have... I. I have very... You, uh, you have ideological motivations I do. to I do. continue adjuncting. I do, but I do it very I, sneakily. I, I do too. Yeah. And <laughs> I think that that... that for me is is the reason why I, it's it's my main reason yeah. for teaching that I can um, you know impact a student's way, a life in a particular way you know yeah. bringing bringing to them you know my particular slant on on, on, on politics and uh, so and subversion yeah. and, I had a student um, last year at the community college like that kinds of subjects that I get to teach yeah uh, which are political in in nature is is a plus. It, it's fun. I had a student. I I try to I try to skirt a progressive line leading towards the left just to sort of see where students are. And one of my students last year argued with me, and his position was where I was, but I didn't expose it. And I after class, I said, "Have you been reading my Facebook posts?" Because so um, it was just it's nice to it's nice to have that see that moment that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it worth at least the, uh, some of the labor. I'll just say one extra thing about the, the you know, abysmal pay. Um, there's no uh, there's no scope within an adjunct's pay for increases due to great work or yeah. teaching yeah. Uh, evaluations. So, you know, when I started in 2011... I was getting about twenty five hundred dollars per course. 
Um, it's now 2019. I'm getting uh, $2,800 per course. So in nine years, it's increased by $300. And I'm sure at some point somebody was like, great news, you got but, yeah. an extra $100. Yes. <laughs> I have excellent teaching evaluations. I think, you know, when I started or, you know, averaging o over nine years, um, you know, I have about a 90% average of, of excellent on my teaching evaluations. I have good relationships with students. Uh, students write to me at the end of the semester and, and tell me how much of an influence I've been uh, on, on their life, uh, how much they in, enjoyed my course. Uh, but I... Uh, the college doesn't recognise that by increasing my pay. No, so I continue to get as much as any other adjunct who's just coming into the, the industry yeah. for the very first time. Do they review uh, the, do they look at your course reviews and talk to you about them at all? No. no same they, with me. No, they don't. No. I did get my first, um, and at the community college, I got evaluated and I got observed. Mm -hmm. I was happy to get observed. I wasn't nervous. I thought, well, I'm glad. I mean, that means they're paying some attention. In my other, I mean, I was the first graduate, I was thrust into adjuncting while I was a doctoral student, and it was a course. They thought, oh, you could probably teach this. Any guidance? No, none. Just And I'm, I was at a school of education. I mean, <laughs> I get zero guidance, and I got no follow-up, no, like, it wasn't that they were hostile. It's just nobody said, hey, how's it going? If, if you've ever taken a course in college and you thought, man, this young instructor, they don't know what they're doing, it's that, that's why. That's, you, I say you, that about old instructors. You, you, <laughs> you're thrown into the fire and expected to kind of figure it out. And you know, we're smart enough, hopefully, that more or less we do. But there's a really steep learning curve to learning how to teach effectively. Like I've read studies that say it takes about five years to make a good uh, you know, teacher, somebody who can effectively convey knowledge to students and uh you're asking people to do that work of perfecting this craft you know undertaking this apprenticeship without really much guidance and then also under a, cir a circumstance where uh there's no material support really for you to do it um and so i, I think it leads just to negative outcomes across the board you know for you know all, all parties involved the universities the students um, and, you know, of course, the people struggling to string together these these temporary precarious jobs that you have to re-up your contracts every semester, yeah. not even every year, yeah. or, you know, then you can't sign anything longer. At my institution, you have to uh, reapply for direct deposit yeah. every semester. They can't just keep you on file. Uh, no, you got to. My email disappears. They have to maintain, have to maintain <laughs> this pretense that every semester you've been hired fresh, a babe out of the womb into the into the adjunct world, um, for you know ideological reasons or material ones. I don't know. Both, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, it bothers me about one. Of the, I was thinking earlier the not not working with my colleagues. So when I was a graduate student, a doctoral student, I've always worked full time. I was always working and, and going to school. And the students who weren't working were the ones that were asked to help write papers. And, and meanwhile, I was a writer. Writing was easy for, and it's always been a, a strength, but I never got asked to write. As an adjunct, the same thing happens. Graduate students, because you use them for the free labor, you know, I'm not asked to partner on papers. I'm talked to about things, but no one says, let's write this together. So I, I miss out on that. And that would help me 
feel motivated to actually continue to, you know, move and at least try to do things like present at conferences, which I have no interest in doing right now, at least not in the field I teach. Even if I wanted to present at a conference, you know, I have a full-time job that I can't, I have afford. To, I can't afford it. Yeah, and, you know, right. But if I was, certainly I couldn't afford it if I was just on an adjunct, con, yeah. an adjunct stipend. So. Right. I, I think Fisher um, does offer assistance to adjuncts to uh, present at conferences, um, mm. you know, once a semester, they mm. will send out an email and offer an opportunity for an adjunct to um, apply for funding. I think it's $650 towards mm. the cost of going to a, a conference. And uh, you have to be a presenter, um, yeah. of, of course. And it's very competitive. I think they, they have, um, you know, funding for three adjuncts to do that. But as Rich says, many, many adjuncts just don't have the time to put together conference papers yeah. in the first place yeah. because they're, they're so busy, uh, you know, many of them working uh, more than uh, four courses per, per semester, often yeah. travelling between institutions, many adjuncts M yeah, many teach at more than one institution. Oh, yeah. Many institutions will, will cap how much you can actually teach there as an adjunct. So you couldn't mm. even teach a four load at most schools. If you're teaching four classes, <laughs> it could be a two to four separate right. colleges, you know. <laughs> yeah. So you, you build in that travel time and, you know, the right. extra expense and yeah. hassle, all that. Yeah, they will cap it at three, I believe, so they mm. don't have to pay right. medical insurance. Yep. Uh, so thanks, Obama. Yeah, many other <laughs> adjuncts, many adjuncts get around that by doing three at one college and then going to other colleges and and teaching. You know, sometimes one, two, or three extra. Yeah, that that must be so exhausting. I know. I knew. I had friends like this, and I mm. couldn't possibly. I mean, mm. I, I guess if you're, if you're, if you can live tr by traveling light, metaphorically, you know, if you're, <laughs> you know, you have very little responsibilities, you have lots of, you know, supports in the background. I think that's mm -hmm. possible. It sounds terrible, but it's. It, I think it's just, and maybe this is a good transition. It's a gig, like so many other gigs in this economy, mm -hmm. and so I remember at my, we'll call it my low point. I was adjuncting. At two separate schools, three classes. I also had a part-time job in one of the academic offices at another university. And then on top of that, I was refereeing five nights a week uh, mm -hmm. just for that extra bit of money. And even then I was scraping by. Wow. Like That was the bare minimum necessary to uh, uh, meet my bills and mm -hmm. rent and all that. Mm -hmm. Well, we are. I mean, that's, I guess that would be – maybe we could segue into another bit because I am curious. I, I had written notes I didn't include it here, but – is this a gig? Are we in the gig economy with this? I'd say yes. Are we the Uber of intellectual <laughs> intellectual <life>? Uber? <laughs> You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Rich, and I'm joined here today with uh, Alfred and Linda, and we're talking about uh, our positions as adjunct professors within the academic gig economy, as we're maybe testingly calling it. 
Um, would you consider our work gig work, guys? Hmm. Or maybe what, I, let's start. What is gig work? It could be gig work. I think it's close to gig work. Maybe it just hasn't. I think we're too snobby to think it's gig work. Well, I mean, is, does that make it not gig work, or does that just make us want to pretend we're not? I think doing... we're pretending it's not gig work, but I think it's just something. I don't know. I'm. I don't want to be gloomy, but. So, as I understand, gig means temporary, in in passing, changeable. There's not a lot of one day to the next. Yeah, I mean, if if it's just the the calendar is a little longer, it's not a day to day, but it's certainly semester semester. There's there is precarity, precarity um, for sure, um, and and we're undervalued doing the same. We, you know, the kind of work we're doing. We get they do think I do think that it's perceived that as an adjunct because, as you said earlier, it's like you know people aren't paying attention to you necessarily. That you have some degree of autonomy and that's good i've heard faculty members say yeah but at least you don't have to go to faculty meetings or respond to the dean or all this other <laughs> stuff and so mm-hmm. small victories i yeah. guess <laughs> yeah. I, I would take the yeah. extra forty-five thousand and go to a faculty meeting you know don't what about you don't you get sabbaticals isn't that no. <laughs> you get paid during your summers <laughs> off right yeah right uh, so so uh, you don't think it's a gig economy yet or do you I mean, it's not a gig economy in like the the fully developed sense that I think a lot of people think of when they think of the term. There's no like app called Professor without oh, an e at the end where you like you, press a button and you know summon a lesson and I, you know some. We're not far from that. We're, we're getting there. I know it's. I know there's something in. Well, I could tell you, and there's an, there is a parallel already in academia um, for research jobs. So people have to fill up their 100% FTE by getting on research gigs, and there are matchmaking apps. So that I can say like, oh, I, I need 10% of my salary covered. Let me go in this thing and find a way. So the, the mechanism is kind of there to fill these gaps. So we're, we're not we're close. <laughs> it certainly feels to me sometimes like a, I'm working in a gig economy. Um, and I'll, uh, I'll mention, um, you know, what I mentioned a, a few moments ago, uh, which is... Um, uh, you know, I, I work semester uh, to uh, semester, and it's it's contractual, and um, I can you know be signed up to teach another course in the following semester, um, and and kind of signed up for that, and do all the work that's required to do that, and in some cases even design a new course. Mm. Uh, because I've been slated to teach it in that particular semester. But if I don't get the numbers or the enrolments in that in that course, uh, they can cancel it. Admin can cancel that course. Um, they don't give me any any notice. Um, they can cancel it within one day of when the the class is yeah. uh, intended or slated to begin. And I get no compensation for that. Um, and that does lead to a lot of living uh, very precariously. And uh, just to give you an example, you know, I um, spent my summer uh, designing a, a new course and uh, it was slated to begin in spring 2019. 
It was a new course. I put a lot of work into it. Designing a new course, putting together a syllabi, doing all of the research that is required in order to put together a a syllabi. There's a lot involved. And when it was getting close to the beginning of the semester, the numbers in the course were really low. And I was really worried that they were going to cancel the the class. They, they, They didn't, but I was very, very close to not making it in terms of, of, of numbers. Did you put um, flyers up? Did you try to get people to... I've seen flyers up for summer classes. I, I, I put flyers up. Yeah. So it is a gig. This is, that's a perfect... You've got, that, you've got a, to brand yourself and your a, class. That's a gig, yeah. right. And the, all the work you put into designing a new course. And, and I've had it a where I've, I wasn't... It is. And I've been asked to teach classes like three weeks before the semester that where I didn't know I was going to... It was just a question mark, and I was not given any preparation. Right. And then I have to, three weeks to prep, and I've done that with classes I had never taught. So it's not like I can just take an, ex, you know. Uh, but, but yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a common experience for a lot of adjuncts is getting, you know, the the email out of nowhere. Hey, can you teach this course? And of course, you say yes because you right. need the money. Of course. But then you're like, oh hell, how I don't know anything about this. <laughs> exactly. Te- learn teach myself an entire field. You and just have to stay weeks. one chapter ahead of the rest it, of the class. I've done it a couple times. <laughs> it's been it's been a challenge. I've pulled it off, but <laughs> it's not something I'd recommend. It's That's tough. never happened to me where I've had to go in cold t- turkey to a course that I <gasps> had absolutely no kind of background or knowledge. <laughs> Um, about, but I have been asked to teach uh, courses three or four weeks um, mm. out, but then been offered somebody else's syllabi uh, to use in order to kind of guide me in putting together my own course. I so that's really helpful. Oh, but do you do you get those syllabi and then do you just keep them or do you? Because I've done that and I've butchered it and I thought I might as well have just done it myself at this point. <laughs> Right. It's just. It's not because I think I'm better. It's just. I. It's different. You're it feels familiar like plagiarism, with plagiarism, and you feel a, a little word. bit of. Yeah. You feel like a little bit of a phony yeah. if you don't at least. <laughs> right. Yeah. Put some effort into making it feel like your own. Yeah. Own course. Yeah. You don't want to feel like you're teaching somebody else's. Do course. you teach required courses? Are they like degree, like you know, courses they have to have to? Because that's an, that's that's what I don't enjoy about it is that because I'm. In the human, in in my field, in social sciences, there are often these credentialed things for additional certifications. Mm. So you have to shoehorn all these extra bits that don't feel organic. Like I taught a class on theories of human development, and this covers cognitive, emotional, mm. cultural, and but as part of the requirements to get a certification for drug and alcohol counsel addictions counseling you have to take this course. Well, they also require a certain percentage of it to focus on addiction, mm-hmm. which is in nothing that ever I've mm-hmm. ever done. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, so I had to force this sort of, and mash it in there, and it just did not feel good at all. But uh, I think it just points to another way. It's a gig economy. Is you just pick it up where you can. It's, it's a catch-as-catch-can work. Um, if, it, if it's available, <laughs> you take it. If it's not available, you lament that it's not available. Um, I have a question. I uh, have my notes. So, uh, you know, we know that there's a that the percentage of contingent faculty is increasing, and et cetera. And we know that. What I found in like in the social sciences and in the med center too, the 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 more 
time academics have for research, the more opens up opportunities for us to adjunct. And I guess I wonder, are we going to get to a point where all teaching, teaching, which is undervalued, is going to be done by the adjunct contingent community and all research, i.e. fund bringing, money bringing things are going to be left to the you know, the specialist with the faculty positions. Yeah, that, that does seem to be, uh, unfortunately, the, uh, the direction things are heading. I mean, we're already in this two-tiered system. And, you know, a lot of tenure, most, I'd say most tenure track professors enjoy teaching. But there's plenty who don't. And who look every opportunity they can to get out of it. <laughs> and I think a lot of adjuncts find themselves teaching the courses that the tenure track professors don't want to teach yep. for reasons, yep. you know, you know, because they're not you, fun. They're not fun, or they're survey <laughs> classes that can get kind of boring and repetitive. You want to teach your research. You want to teach your, you know, your your your, your areas of special interest. Yeah. Not talk about the entirety of a subject every yeah. year, um, and so that work mm-hmm. kind of gets left to the adjuncts. Like let them. Let them teach it, and let yeah. us teach you know the, the special classes for the special students, kind of thing. Yeah. I've only taught one class that I actually mm-hmm. got that I created in the way that you were talking, Linda, where I actually got to do it in the way I wanted with my material, and I enjoyed. It was the only time I can say I truly felt like God. I wish I was. A, I wish I was doing this full time. It's the only time I ever had that. Just that one time. <laughs> yeah. I think that there has been a suggestion that one way forward would be to offer a college degree in teaching at college. Okay, so you would do a degree whereby you would become a college teacher um, and your, your job would be to teach and not do any research. So, you know, presently <laughs> tenure-track professors, tenured professors are expected to do teaching and research and I think that they're thinking about creating degrees for uh, people to do just college teaching degrees and, and go in and, and do that. It's ironic because I was at a school of education. Which would give education you more and, status. <laughs> but the, but the job, you know, it's the jobs. Greater pay. Everybody should have that. I always wondered why I was at a school of education. I got, I got degrees there and I thought, why don't we have any courses that are specifically about being the professor? You don't. You get an orientation when you're faculty and you right. get a, a maybe a faculty boot mm. camp or something. But mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. and there's no ongoing. Mm-hmm. How is your teaching going? It's mm-hmm. just you've you've accomplished the task. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, and nobody looks at your evaluations unless they oh, don't God. like you anyway. Right. So right. It's, they're just there as a cudgel. <laughs> they're not there as something that could benefit you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I tell my students that all the time. Like, I, you can put whatever you want on here. Be as honest as you want, but I can, I can tell you right now, it, this isn't gonna because they want to do it for good reasons. Like, oh, this will help. They should hire you. They should hire you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's not no. No, I just no one reads these. I'm sorry. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. do it, do it because you get five dollars toward your printer credit. Yeah, but you know, it's like it's like those uh, placebo buttons on the elevator. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what student yeah, yeah reviews true. are. <laughs> um. I, I I have a lot of questions. I, I guess one thing I do want to say, because I don't want to omit this part, I actually feel like there's a silver lining to that, to the ad, to the increase in the contingent faculty. Mm-hmm. Because since we're not married to a university in terms of our, uh, in constrained by sort of certain types of rules, we can become the larger, we can create larger intellectual public spheres. Mm-hmm. We're not, like, I'm, I have no risk to my career by going out on a limb, let's say, and being more of a public intellectual. 
um, because I'm not I'm not reliant on publishing or, mm -hmm. or tenure. And I think the more contingent faculty are out there, the more we might have possibilities for us to become sort of splinters into this very unintellectual, non-critical sort of these public spheres. Mm -hmm. um, the people that I find most engaging to read nowadays, especially on pub social media, are tend to be those public intellectuals mm -hmm. who aren't precisely, you know, some of my favorite thinkers are people who are not in an institution. Right. And, you know, back, back to Linda's uh, observation about, you know, the idea of creating a professional college teacher as a thing. Uh, you know, I'd certainly welcome it if it created more space for material improvement for adjuncts. But, you know, I think what would actually wind up happening is uh, a BA would become, you know, what a high school diploma it's used to be. Already, there, kind, already, kind of already there. <laughs> and then everyone would have to go to learn with research professors at their grad school and pay that extra money. You know, it, it seems like that's the direction in which uh, the university as an institution is heading. Um, so that almost might more radical transformation of what the university is and can be kind of building on uh, Alfred's idea of this kind of uh, co collective of public intellectuals sharing knowledge outside the structure, creating their own structures, because uh, we haven't really touched on this, but one of the reasons why there's so many adjuncts is because money's being pulled out of the universities, it's being concentrated at the very top of the universities, what's left of it, mm -hmm. and tenure track professors and adjunct professors and tenured professors, particularly those in the humanities and the social sciences, which aren't commodified in a way, mm -hmm. the same way sciences are, uh, are left to scrabble among, squabble amongst themselves for the scraps. Yep. I looked at, I looked at awards recently for the university, um, different types of government funding I was looking over and all of the humanities ones were mm -hmm. dwarfed. Every one that I looked at was dwarfed by whatever med center or engineering grant was near them. I, I went alphabetically in names and like $30,000, $20,000. And then you get to like $9 million and you find out, oh, it's health research or it's something like. I, I remember being <laughs> in, in grad school and I don't, we don't want to gripe, but it's worth pointing out the disparity here. I had, you know, my grad student co colleagues in the humanities and I got fairly minimum stipends. I think 19000 was when I started out at. Whereas I knew people in, uh, say, optics uh, were getting like $50,000. They were getting middle oh, yeah. class stipend, yeah. salary stipends mm -hmm. for their work, which was amazing. You know, that's how it should have been for everyone. Uh, but, you know, there are these bizarre hierarchies within the hierarchies of the university. It's the specialization has made it really difficult because you, because specialization implies that it's more valuable and right. then, and that's why that that optics person as opposed to somebody and you know to to most outside the humanities everyone oh it's the humanities it's all just soft wishy-washy you know poetry or something and there's no you know they can't put a price tag on it directly uh, then it's not worth anything to them. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we're, we're getting shunted aside as humanities, social sciences people out of the university um, because the grant money is is elsewhere. The corporate money is elsewhere. Digital and, humanities. Uh, don't say those words. Thanks. So I have a question yeah. about your yeah. comment about, you know, the, the freedom to become a, a public intellectual. Yeah. Um, with no time, I might have. <laughs> right, with, with no time. Yeah. But... Uh, do you find, um, because you are adjuncting and I presume you're dependent uh, to a certain extent on, on that salary to, to supplement the income you're getting from your full-time job, do you find any constraints 
Do you, do you feel constrained good, about what you can say as a, I, a in, in, in public? Less so for um, my adjunct part and more for I, my... I would be afraid, right, because my teaching is really important to me. I yeah. think that there are constraints. You feel constrained you, as an adjunct but you're, about you're fe- speaking freely. You're in a field where there's... You, you don't have any job security. I think job security yeah. and freedom to speak are... Dependent upon one another, whereas with an adjunct, without job security, well, yeah. uh, speaking freely can get you into trouble with I, the I powers think, that be. I think for me, because I'm profession, because I was a professional first, and I have uh, I have a career, tra- I have job potential that is outside of academia. Mm-hmm. I, so I feel I don't feel that same thing. Mm-hmm. But but Linda, you're you're in a field where like there's a crosshairs are on your back mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. at any level that you're working. Mm-hmm. So I can I so I'm speaking from a position where, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in social sciences and I work in mm-hmm. administration and I'm I'm pretty protected. Um, right. but I do I'm more worried about my job that my day job than I am. Um, right. Well, so so, so I think I, that's I true. work in yeah. women and gender studies yeah. and that's not a department it's 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 a program. Mm. We have few faculty. We don't have any. The program director is a visiting a professor. Mm. I'm an adjunct professor, mm. and it's not considered to be a a vital, necessary, crucial part yeah. of what my college offers academically. So, is it a checkbox for them? That does. There's a there's a checkbox. You have to keep on justifying your existence and why the college should could yeah. n- needs to have you as part of its kind of you know its its academic offerings. So, that's a hard. Yeah, as, as an adjunct person, I, I don't feel I have freedom to say whatever I want whenever I want to say it. Yeah, I feel we have, there's a bit of a monkey on my back. We have seen examples of, of yeah. not even necessarily just adjuncts, but like tenure track professors like Stephen Salida is the one you know, example that stands out in my mind is a guy who uh, was fired for expressing a controversial opinion mm-hmm. about Palestine. Um, and so that's, mm-hmm. you know, if you're teaching in, mm. I don't know, controversial, for lack of a better word off the top of my head, fields, you know, you, you, you almost have to self-censor because you are in this precarious position and you are in these informal work nodes, I guess, where your job depends on you having a good relationship with your chair and your chair, you know, maybe doesn't, even if you let, they like you, they don't want to rock the boat with the administration because of you. So but Rich, if you, I can, I mean, from my experience in social science and sciences in general, you, if you walk, if I walked into a department anywhere in the university and said, you know what, I have the potential to get a $5 million grant. I will have a faculty position. And if I'm pulling that much money in and I say something controversial, it's going to be tough. There's a certain university that it took how many people and how many years of of every rule followed in terms of complaints and criticisms and every single possible way of doing it. And it still took all of that to make one to, – to get an insufficient reaction and response. So if you're bringing in – you bring in the cash – you're paying. There is a there is a pay to play. Oh this. sure, yeah. You know that that's the additional. You have literal material protection for yourself. That's how you create a wall. You create a wall of money around yourself. Yes. But, yeah. You know your money supports your ability to have controversial ideas. And like I was saying before, you know our our fields 
you know, maybe we should have had a more representative uh, sample of adjuncts so we could have the, the science voice in here so we didn't just yeah. humanities people bashing them. <laughs> well, uh, we did the you first know. episode of Punching Out was ex- was not about, was about a low-paid science job. There we go. Right. Person was, who just graduated. Covered. So, yeah. yeah. This is our time. <laughs> oh. No. Shall we? All right. Um, well, we, when we come back, we should talk about unionization efforts. Yeah, certainly. absolutely. Yeah. Hey, hey guys, you know that feeling you have at work, that dead inside feeling? Bad news, we can't really help with that. Good news, we can help you waste some time at work. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYO LPFM Rochester. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hi, I'm Rich. Uh, this is Punching Out. I'm joined today by Linda and Alfred, and we are talking about uh, adjuncts in the modern university. So I think, you know, just to kick off this segment, I think universities, although they put on these great airs of being the ivory towers of knowledge and um, ivory is banned learning, by uh, what can we call it now? The yeah, see. glass towers? The glass towers of these, <laughs> these sacred spaces of neutral, objective fact and knowledge. I think universities are the neoliberal institution uh exemplar neoliberal institution there's spaces that uh commodify certain not certain aspects of knowledge privilege those certain aspects of knowledge and then actively cut out and underfund those segments of the university that are not profitable to the the board of trustees who and the administrators who are the, the managers of this neoliberal mm. institution and so there are some interesting holdovers to when the universities were kind of that ideal, never really was that ideal, right. you know, tenure track I think, or tenure as, a, as an institution, I think is probably the main holdover. The idea that your academic freedom is guaranteed by uh, the very difficult process involved in getting rid of a professor. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, as we've seen, that's eroding. Mm-hmm. And I would argue, of course, that that's by design, you know. Yeah the adjunctification of the university is in part to destroy the labor protection that is mm-hmm. tenure track mm-hmm. to make the work precarious and then also to commodify privileged knowledge of, you know, the, the parts that are profitable to the university and right. cut out all the rest left that's left for, to the detriment of, you know, not just the university, but society at large. Cause you know, you're denying people the right to learn improve themselves through uh their chosen paths of of exploration in this process so i guess the question i'd I'd pitch to us is how do we avert and reverse or transform this neoliberal university and academia as a as a space and as something that works not just for the current precariat but for everyone involved in it i think we i think we we we'd agree at least on the collective the collective force, building a collective labor force of adjuncts, whether that's local, I, I wish it would be. I think a national larger scale would certainly add a lot of weight to it, um, especially as there are going to be more of us. We're growing. We're not right. shrinking. I also think maybe getting people... <coughs> so I guess what I'm saying is, um, besides the fact that we know at a ground level we need to unionize and collectivize, but how do we involve multiple levels, multiple sources of power, multi, you know, and and really get them to see, as Linda, you were just saying, how it this is a this is a space that we all inhabit. What do we do? <laughs> do we become the administrators? 
do we become like how do we how do we convince them or how do we you know persuade or Okay, so we're going to talk about uh, unionization and use the example of, of, of Nazareth. Um, so I spent a little bit of time at the uh, SEIU website. I'm interested. They seem to be a major player when it comes to uh, organizing unions around the country, universities and colleges. And uh, according to their website, there's 54,000 faculty and grad student uh, workers on 60 campuses have joined the faculty forward movement and formed unions. That sounds like a a lot to me. They're having some uh, success at getting people interested and forming unions and then going on to, you know, collectively bargain with their uh, employee employers the local example is is nazareth college Uh, they were the first private college to unionize in rochester Um, they voted um, adjuncts at nazareth uh, three to one to do something uh, to unionize in june 2018 i think that's a pretty impressive uh, impressive number the unionization model is obviously great. The question is, like, what kind of union works best for adjuncts? Uh, I'm in this sort of bizarre situation where I am a member of a union, a, a teacher's professor's union, but it's a, a kind of two-tiered unionism. The, this one union negotiates on behalf of both the tenure-track professors and also the adjunct professors. We both pay dues. We're both, you know, members of the union. We both yep. can vote in union elections. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, leadership knows the adjuncts aren't going to be there. You know, they're going to mm-hmm. be moving on because the job itself is precarious. The tenured professors and the tenure track professors—they're the ones they have to answer to. Mm-hmm. So when they go to negotiate our contracts, we get we see you know really marginal increases in pay, maybe some extra guarantees and benefits, but really not much, particularly compared to. The increases in pay and the, you know the guarantees and the uh, the things interested the tenure track professors are interested in getting for themselves. So it creates this dichotomy within the union. That I find destructive um, for unionism as a whole. And you know I would love to see tenure track professors, full time professors, realize that our fights are the same. At the end of the day, we're both doing the same work. You know the the differential in pay. Uh, isn't just harming adjuncts. It's serving as a drag on the idea of tenure track faculty and full-time faculty as a position, period. So, you know, you want to preserve the idea of a professor as a profession. You have to start looking toward solidarity across the the boundaries of the university in order to ensure that future. Isn't it a bit, I mean, I'm to play devil's advocate, it feels a little underhanded, though, to have that, that tenure professor and the adjunct fighting in the same fight when, for example, there might be a, an increase, a percentage, let's say, or some, some benefit. Well, if I'm, if I'm making, you know, six figures and you, and I get a small increase of some kind percentage, let's say that's right. a problem because that's, a, that's an actual amount of money. Right. Yeah. Whereas you get a percent, my, my, my like, 4% increase, are, like 20 bucks. I, like I don't want them to think that we're equal when there, when there's that obvious disparity until we're actually more equal. I'd feel like, so I, I don't, I'd like them to be part of it, but with the understanding that they are, they need to seed more yeah. than gain. Sharing right. power is easy. Mm-hmm. Losing some of it is the problem. I'd say, 
insofar as we have a common enemy, it's the administration. They're the ones who are allocating resources. And as we, I think most of us have seen, they're allocating resources to themselves. They get salaries way out of line to what they do. They create positions that aren't necessary. They create (laughs) massive, massive overhead to the university, uh, of the, in the university. And that denies us, you know, the money we're the ones earning for them. We're the workforce that creates the value for the university. But we need a great sculpture out front or we need, we we need uh, Wegmans (laughs) hall to, You know, grace our grace our beloved campuses. Weird sculptures of. That's the first time I've heard that that you would have a union fighting simultaneously for adjuncts and tenure track professors. How does that even work? We're all part of the same. We're all part of this. I'm the, presuming it's the same, same union. It's the same. I'm in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It, it's the it's the public te- public professors union, yeah. So they're okay. all under the same banner, even though it, it's no different than the UAW in Detroit, where you know the the old timers are you know guaranteed their old benefits and guaranteed their old pay, and then the people hired after the most recent contract yeah. get nothing. Well, there, there are different fights though, and I, I've experienced it where I at, at the community college because like the people who are higher up and tenured have particular gripes with certain administrative policies that I have nothing to do with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, at all, it, it affects me in no way. So mm-hmm. I, if, if there's solidarity in one sense, but it's not, cla- it's not a class based solidarity. It's more of a building based solidarity, which is yeah. kind of, you know, mm-hmm. Pre- precarious in its own way. Yeah. We're, we're, we're not. I, I mean, another, another model I've been considering is, you know, just, throwing out there is the the old teamster model used to be uh what they call the grand master contracts they set the rates for truckers or uh you know delivery people across the nation and if you're a member of the teamsters you abided by those rates like see that working as an adjunct model the adjunct union comes together and sets the rates and those are the rates they work by if the university's not willing to offer them people don't work then scabs happen then scabs happen and that's the thing where adjuncts are so atomized they're so difficult to organize because you know i don't know many of my other adjunct colleagues because mm-hmm. we just work separate times in mm-hmm. different schedules yeah. mm-hmm. and so it's difficult to organize mm-hmm. and then you know what if you do achieve that level of organization uh you know you have to guard yourself and as my producer just pointed out, <laughs> this ties us nicely back into this idea that this is a gig economy because this is the very same issue uh, we see with Uber drivers and uh, other people working in these atomized jobs where they just don't know their comrades. They can't build that person-to-person right. solidarity that's so necessary uh, to unionization. So, uh, yeah, and we're but we're we're conditioned to drive and increase surplus value. Like it's a weird model because we become competitive. We do our jobs well and we do them efficiently and we do things and then that's a sort of a means to take advantage and I'm not saying adjuncts I'm saying workers in, in general sure. you know and so what how do we we don't want to fail I think in adjunct especially I think we are almost pathologically driven to not do a crappy job of it in part because we don't have any protection because it's really bad if we're bad, right. you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, are you laughing because you're like, well, I don't know. If, if, if you're really bad, they as, as a bad adjunct, you. right? You can it's, it, it you it's, can it's cut and dry as that. It is right. so you so we're sort of pushed to do well. We have no protection, mm-hmm. um, and by doing well, however, I think it's read as oh, well, the adjuncts are ha- look at how good they are. look at how well they're. T- we love our adjuncts. They teach so well. <laughs> we're going to hire more because they're just so good at teaching. <laughs> so, right. You know. How do we how do we sabotage? I guess what, how do we put a wooden shoe in the machinery that stops it from continuing its march towards whatever it is? 
I mean, we've seen some some adjuncts that the University of Chicago just struck. Uh, grad students, I should say, not adjuncts, uh, just went on strike. Uh, they took a one-day strike in the classes. And the university took notice. Students, parents, they're going to complain if the, the <coughs> precious dollar isn't being That's it. sent to the fullest. So if you, you create disruption in you know the clean operation of the university you know just like any other strike any other industry that's how that's how we do it or you expose or expose some of the practices that are that would not look well right for other people you know there's a certain university here that does that with things like statistics about assault for example where these are statistics that are somewhat mildly portrayed as opposed to you know because if parents thought that their children were any danger of being assaulted in any way they would oh but so that there's a there's a machinery for sugarcoating a lot of these things too mm -hmm. so maybe part of it is exposing some of the practices and things that are actually harmful to students not just harmful to adjuncts right? sure uh, right whistleblow i think, I I think solidarity that that's a great point to make solidarity isn't just between professors of different within you know the hierarchies is between professors and students as yep. well. Yep. I think we share the same common cause, the same interest and in knowledge, uh, and the same precarity. You know, the students aren't there for very long either, and but they still have the same you know kind of commitment to the place for the time they are there. Have you ever heard students? I, I've never heard students complain that they're being taught by adjuncts, but I've heard other people, not students, complain that oh, there's teach they're wasting money, they're spending adjuncts are teaching. It's an inferior education. Most students don't know what an adjunct is. No, exactly. <laughs> it's, it doesn't matter them <laughs> as long as they're getting often adjuncts will be blamed as the reason that that colleges are are suffering slumps in retention rates and mm -hmm. and graduation rates right. and and so and, they and cause so us and then they blame us. Right? Where's yeah. your blame for for that? Yeah. yeah, but we're only there. But there's only an increase in adjuncts because the the university is deciding to increase its profit margin, and so it, we're we're perfectly placed to be scapegoats. Yep. <laughs> so, our producer is saying to wrap it up. <laughs> How do you wrap this up? The you know the university system has been uh, has been almost entirely mm -hmm. class oppressive for its since the medieval period. I mean, sure. it's very very rare that we have moments of of good sort of you know progressive. Uh, there are some moments in history like that, and they just seem to come and go. Um, like, maybe we're due like for all it. Things, right? Yeah, maybe we're due for it. I mean, I think we're. I think we are. We, I am. I am very hopeful that the eighteen-year-olds now, the sixteen and seven-year-olds, that they're going to be coming to universities armed with a little bit more of the knowledge of the exposed yeah. neoliberalism. And we're, maybe, we're getting the students who came of age after the recession. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think the premise of punching out is there's at least some hope for the future. Yeah, yeah. We, we talk bleakness a lot of times here, but you know, we wouldn't be socialists talking on this show if we weren't. Faith have some faith at least in a better future. So I, I think, think we should change the name to Punching Up. <laughs> That's it. All right. On that note, this has been Punching <laughs> Out. <laughs> Bye. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.